Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Table Talk, discussions of church, theology, and culture. My name is Luke Burrow. I'm the family and ministry coordinator here at CBC Elderton. With me, as always, is our lead pastor, Andrew Hall. You join us here for our fourth and final episode in our series that we've called Is Christianity Good for the World? We've spent the last number of episodes going over a lot of the the problems and difficulties that we see around us in our culture. And we've dug back a little bit into the history and where those things come from. And we've, we've slogged through a lot of that stuff to get here to this final episode where now we are going to seek to actually answer the question definitively, is Christianity good for the world? And we, we're going to argue, yes, that it is. And we want to talk a little bit about why in this episode. And so maybe, Andrew, before we dive into that, let's spend just a couple of minutes recapping where we've been so far. What are the problems culturally that we've seen around us that have caused Christianity to be viewed in in a very different light now than it was years and decades ago? We went from uh, the position where Christianity, is it true to is it is it actually evil and that's a that's a fundamental shift the landscape has shifted in terms of morality the sexual revolution which uh, which really manifested itself in the 60s has mm-hmm. come full circle and now um, with with all sorts of throwing off of um, heterosexuality being the norm um, I think that we're going to be entering into a phase of of our culture where every sort of, of sexual taste is uh, considered uh, to be your personal preference. Um, we've entered into a phase of cancel culture. We've entered into this uh, polarization of politics. There is no middle left anymore. It's You'll even hear our prime minister talk about um, the, the right and uh, the progressives. And so there's just this sense in which the the middle is gone. Yeah, um, it's shifted. Uh, our our culture's view on authority and power uh, it's very suspicious of any authority. It's suspicious of any use of power, and it's it's overthrowing any forms of power that used to exist. And anybody who was oppressed now needs to be raised up, and anybody who was in a position of power needs to be thrown down. We can even see this in the. Uh, in the defund the police movement, yeah. uh, uh, things like that. It's it just is a display of, of a culture that has decided that all power structures need to be inverted. And so really that's where we are. And as a result of that, we've talked about people struggle to embrace reality. Uh, there's a, a problem and an abuse of, of power. Um, we, we have all sorts of, of issues that come about. We have we have barely scratched the surface in terms of the problems, but I think that we're more familiar with the problems and we need a, a greater clarity in terms of where do we go from here. Absolutely, and that's what we're going to spend our time doing for anybody who hasn't been listening to uh, what we've just been talking about, laying out the problem. You can go to the last three episodes that we've done where we've, uh, taking the time to dive deeper into that. But now we want to look forward to the solution. So we we would argue quite strongly, quite quite definitively that yes, Christianity is good for the world. And Otherwise, so, we wouldn't be believers. Absolutely. And we certainly <laughs> wouldn't be doing this podcast. That's right. And so 
let's just start by asking the most basic question. If, if the answer is yes, then how is Christianity good for the world? Let's start by acknowledging that uh, people tend to swing the pendulum from one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as Christians, we need to be aware of this, that we can, uh, there, there have been moments in Christian history, not that long ago, where there was a sense of triumphalism and um, even uh, eschatologically, you know, the end was near in terms of mm-hmm. certainly the God was going to usher in his kingdom at the in the early 1900s, and then two world wars smashed that, and suddenly people became incredibly pessimistic. Yep. So we have to recognize even as Christians that we can be on a pendulum. Yes, And sure. we have to have this confidence, uh, number one, that sin, uh, well, not so much a confidence, but a realization that Sin is real and it is a, a significant issue and problem that God is going to overcome by the power of the gospel, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. So we are both cautious because of the reality of sin and we are optimistic because of the power of the gospel. Um, and, and into that, I think we need to recognize that there are moments of our culture and history where um, I think Christian doctrine Believe it or not, Christian doctrine actually helps us in the midst of these pendulum swings because, yeah. because in the beauty of who God is, the, the pendulum swings are trying to correct something that was formerly wrong, um, but there's often an overcorrection. Yeah. But Christianity, um, I, I'll say this, I, I love Luther because he embraces the paradoxes of, of, of Christianity. Yeah. Um, and he has his faults like we all do, but I think that embracing paradoxes helps us to recognize that pendulums do swing. And as Christians, we need to hold, uh, we need to hold truths, not necessarily in tension, but we need to hold truths that seem polar opposite to us uh, together because yeah. God has held them together. And that doesn't mean that, that they're opposites or that they're contradictory, but that in our finite minds, we just don't understand the infinite. Yeah, and there are many examples of that kind of thing in Christian doctrine, everything from Jesus being fully God and fully man mm-hmm. to our, our understanding of the, the Trinity is a, a similar thing. And you know, going speaking of Luther specifically, the idea that we're both saints and sinners. Yeah, There's all these places in where we're, as Christians, we're holding two things in tension, that which is one thing that, as we've discovered, is something society does not do well, which is why it's constantly swinging back and forth like that. And so, what are a few more of these these things in Christianity that we we're able to hold in a significant way that that can help us in our present cultural moment? If we think about the struggle that we have to embrace reality, we're always wanting to transcend. Mm-hmm. We're always wanting to burst past our limits as human beings. Technology gives us the sense, we talked about how we can travel much further, faster. Uh, We can do things before that we never could do. Like we we don't have to be limited to going to a concert to listen to music. We can listen to live music uh, through through, uh, just our our phones, our cell phones. Mm -hmm. And so Christianity really teaches us that we are we are both limited as human beings uh, and yet we we have a God who is infinite uh, which means that 
that our God comes to us and he is close to us. He is imminent. Uh, He comes as the father to dwell among his people in the Old Testament through the tabernacle. He comes by his son and, and in the incarnation dwells among us. He comes by his spirit and dwells in us. And yet at the same time, he's transcendent. He is utterly other. And so I think Christians have this unique ability to say, uh, we can embrace the realities of, of technology, but we also can accept our limitations. Yeah. And, and we ought to be pushing against uh, disease and death, but we also recognize the limits of that. Yeah. Uh, we will never overcome death in a human form because it is by Jesus Christ who has conquered the grave. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has tasted death for us. He has lived and he has died and he has risen again. We can see then that as Christians, uh, we are, we are part of one body and yet we are individuals just as God is a triune God and yet one God. And so Uh, I think that into this moment where people are trying to figure out themselves and they're trying to create their own identity, we have a creator who has given us an identity. And at the same time, he makes us unique. He makes us all, uh, every single one of us is made in his image. And at the same time, uh, he calls us into a corporate reality. And and trying to find your own identity can be incredibly lonely. Mm -hmm. And that is where, uh, as people who gather together, we're not trying to, we don't have to create societies or groups. We have one that has been created for us, the Church of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, in the midst of this, we have this entertainment-based culture that is trying to find personal fulfillment and satisfaction and distraction. And I don't think that uh, a worship experience is what we're trying to create. Mm -hmm. I think that what we're trying to do is we're trying to come back to realize that worship is encountering the living God and his presence among his people. So we don't have to put on a performance. Yes, we need to worship and and do our service with services with excellence, but we ought not idolize those things because, because God loves a joyful noise. And it's not a perfect noise. God loves when his people gather together. He inhabits the praises of his people. And so I think that there are a lot of emphases that Christians can return to. Uh, Even even in the cross, um, uh, we talked about uh, humble power. And Jesus comes and he doesn't have to fight for his own rights. He lays down his life, but he lays it down of his own accord. Nobody takes it from him. Um, and and in the same way as Christians, we don't have to fight for our individual rights. We can we can gladly, joyfully surrender our rights by choosing to do so. Nobody is taking it from us. We can joyfully do so. And in so doing, I think that we can upend the power structures of this world that are that are anti-Christian. And we can show the world how true power is actually intended to serve. It's intended to benefit people because we're not out to grasp onto power and hold on to power. We're out to serve. And that's where true power lies. Uh, God exalts the lowly. Um, it's the humble are exalted. Uh, and it's the exalted who are brought down. Um, pride will go before the fall. And so I think Christians have a lot of things that we, uh, we have been taught 
from the very beginning, from the word of God. There's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to be ashamed of the word of God. God has spoken. He has revealed himself. And in that revelation of who he is, we, we have all sorts of tools that help us to deal with the pendulum swings. And it enables us to hold two things together simultaneously without being contradictory, yep. without being confrontational in a negative way. I do think that we have to be confronting our culture, but I think we also have to be presenting the positive uh, view that, that we have in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, in the doctrine of the Trinity. And uh, I'll, uh, that, that just brings to mind a resource that we can talk about at the end. Yes, absolutely. And I, th I think it's so important for us to really root all of this, as you've said, in looking to Jesus and to, to his sacrifice and to his sacrificial love. And that example for us, I even think of the, the calling all throughout scripture that we are free and we have freedom, but we're not to use that freedom for ourselves. It's this idea Again, that Jesus chose to serve, That's and right. to lay down his own life, and we choose to serve and not use our freedom or any freedom the world might be trying to achieve, not for our own benefit. We are, we're actually called in the freedom that we have to love others, That's to right. exercise restraint, and to put others ahead of ourselves. And that is something sorely needed in our culture today, I would say. Yeah, the you've you've mentioned before the the law gospel uh, idea, mm -hmm. and and the law constrains us, the gospel frees us, yeah. and in one sense, as Christians, we accept the limitations that the law brings, yeah. and in another, and and it's because the gospel has freed us, and so the constraints that the law puts on us are not a burden. John will say that in John, uh, First John five, uh, I think it's verse two that uh, that that his law is not a burden to us. Yeah. And that's because it is for freedom. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't submit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. Yeah. Uh, so Christianity has this ability to, to uphold a free society, free speech, but free speech, speech does not mean that anybody can just shoot off their mouth and, and cause harm to others, but also that free speech means that we, we also acknowledge that we are mindful of others, that we respect others, and and that we we govern ourselves. The fruit of the spirit; those things, there is no law that mm -hmm. stands against them. Love, joy, uh, peace, uh, long suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. And if we would capture these these fruits of the spirit and the virtues that they produce. I think that we would find that we can hold a lot of things in tension yeah. uh, in ways that are beautiful and good. And I would just add to that, I think that what makes Christianity good for the world is that it, it can display these uh, things that look like polar opposites. We can hold them together in a beautiful way yeah. because Jesus Christ did. And if anyone displayed beauty, it was a man of sorrows, full of suffering, acquainted with grief. One men despised and hid their faces from. From we we did not esteem him, but he was stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, and it's by that punishment that our wounds are healed. Yeah, and so we've spent the last. 
three episodes asking the question, is Christianity good for the world? We're arguing yes, and it should come as no surprise to us that in our world today broken by sin, that the answer that God has been working out all throughout history to ultimately put sin to an end would still be just as helpful today as it has always been. And so that's, I I think us sitting here and our viewers uh, certainly won't be surprised by our answer in that sense. And now we want to spend a couple minutes at the end here, just looking forward and thinking about what can we do as individuals, maybe, maybe ask the question, where do we start? We're looking to be good for the world as we're surrounded by a world that no longer thinks that we are good for the world. And so what, what strategies should God's people be looking to in order to display this, this beautiful goodness that we've argued that we have to give and to give freely? If we start with the idea that we're going to be cautiously optimistic, cautious because of sin, optimistic because of the gospel, there's another tension that we hold together. Um, I think then that we can affirm the goodness of creation uh, and yet the the problems that sin creates. And we can affirm that um, God has given us a message of reconciliation to the world. Paul will talk about that in 2 Corinthians 5. And so we are to be his ambassadors. Uh, I, I think that what happens when we are Christ's ambassadors is that we are given uh, this message of reconciliation because God has lavished upon us grace upon grace. Uh, I love how um, in the beginning of John's gospel, uh, in John chapter one, I think it's... Uh, I can't remember which verse it is, verse 18, I think, uh, or verse, verse 16. We all have received from him grace upon grace. And it's the idea of just grace being piled on top of grace mm-hmm. on top of grace. It's John 1, 16, my computer tells me. Yeah, that's right. And so where do we start? I think we start by being a people who revel in the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Um, what... In a world where cancel culture is normal, in a world where we dismiss people, where we write people off. A graceless world. A graceless world. In a world where um, where people are struggling with identity, with, with uh, accepting limitations, I think that the Church of Jesus Christ can be the most welcoming society. It was, I think of Paul's words, in Romans 15, he said, welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you or accepted you, uh, depending on your translation. And that's what grace looks like. God received sinners like you and me. Mm-hmm. And and he welcomed me with a, a warm embrace. And he could affirm me that I am made by him, loved by him, cherished by him. But that doesn't leave me where I am. He doesn't just say, uh, I love you as you are, and now you can stay in this life. It's now go and sin no more. And as a result of that, uh, the grace that God gives to us actually becomes this empowering grace that fuels a change and it fuels something. People find grace beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I think of the band U2. Uh, they're often singing about Christian themes, especially the concepts of grace. Bono will talk about grace over and over in interviews. He just can't get away from it. Uh, he, he doesn't like the concepts of karma. He finds grace 
to be something that is irresistible, not yeah. in the, I'm not talking about the Calvinist sense, but just in terms of, he, he, he can't get away from this idea that, that there is a God who is gracious and compassionate. Yeah. And grace does not mean we just accept everything and we ignore the bad. It means that we actually are the most welcoming people who can speak truth in love. And our society does not know how to speak truth and love. That's, yeah. that's, again, another contradiction to our world. It's either you're all truth or you're all love. And yet, we need to be a people who can, who can say hard things in gracious ways. We need to be a people who, um, something that I'm constantly learning in my own life, not to take things in a personal way and take personal, um, to t- take personal, take as a personal affront, but to, to grow in receiving criticism because the cross has taken all criticism from me. Mm-hmm. Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as a result of that, uh, I want to grow and understand that the sufferings that I endure in this life are not worth to be compared to the glory to be revealed, as Paul will say in Romans 8. And, and I can have this incredible confidence that that this short life of mine, um, God, God is going to give me strength to endure sufferings and hardships. And as a result of that, he will do something glorious and good in me. Uh, he's, he's working out maturity in me. And, and as Christians, we can be confident that this cultural moment is not, we, we've got to get past this idea that this is, this is the end of the world right now. Yeah. Certainly, I'm hoping for Jesus to come again. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right. I, I do pray that. And at the same time, let's carry on and be faithful. Let's, let's be a, a generation that works hard to show the glory of Christ to a world that is graceless. We seek to be a people of grace. And as we internalize and delight in that grace and extend it to the world, we are sure to find that many will find that grace as you, as you say, irresistible or very, very attractive. Yeah. And so you, you had mentioned Andrew that you had um, a, a resource you would like to recommend. And if you have any other thoughts you want to end on as well, we can, uh, we can wrap those things here together at the end. Um, before I mention the resource that came to my mind, I, I think it's Don Carson, the uh, Canadian uh, new Testament scholar who has said um, that the Church of Jesus Christ is the place where natural enemies supernaturally love one another. Mm-hmm. And I can't get over that. I just can't get over that. Um, you and I are sitting here. We're very different people. Mm-hmm. And yet, actually, what draws us together and what unites us, we have more in common than we have as differences. And yet, if it was by worldly standards, uh, we would we would not have the kind of relationship that you and I have. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's even more true in a world where we're polarized and we're put into our subgroups and our communities. Echo what, chambers. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Like what society can have people on the political left and political right worshiping together. What society can have people of different colors and backgrounds and ethnicities coming together. What society can have the rich and the poor loving one another and serving one another. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Um, The resource that I wanted to recommend is um, it's a thick tome, uh, but it's 
Um, I've been plugging away through it for a while. It's called Biblical Critical Theory mm. by Christopher Watkins. And he is taking a look at doctrine and understanding how Christian doctrine actually, uh, it, it both uh, confronts the culture and then reorients the culture. He's kind of doing what Augustine was trying to do in the city of God. Yeah. And if also we, a very big book, <laughs> also a very, very big book. Um, and he's looking at it uh, both uh, from a biblical standpoint, theological standpoint, but also a philosophical standpoint. Mm. And I found it tremendously helpful. Um, I've mentioned in one of our men's ministry times that the doctrine of the triune God actually is a very helpful thing for politics because in politics, uh, we either embrace uh, a multicultural society or a melting pot society. And yet the, the threeness of God in terms of there's three persons or the oneness of God in terms of that he is one, one God uh, actually helps us to hold together various, various things that we feel are intention. Mm. And, and so by God's grace, we're always going to struggle with the tensions. We're always going to feel our limitations as human beings but God, by his grace, has given us as agents to be salt and light in this world, salt to preserve what is good and light to shine and repel darkness. And so we can do that. And, and so, yeah, bit of Biblical Critical Theory by Christopher Watkins is an excellent book. For, for those of you who are up for a, a bit of a challenge, if you're finding your reading a little too easy, that might be a good, uh, good recommendation for you. Thanks so much for joining us in this four-part series. As we asked the question, is Christianity good for the world? We hope that it was ultimately an encouragement to you, helped you see the world around you with a little more clarity and give you an idea of how the, the, the beauty of the grace of God can help us be lights in a dark world. And that brings us then to our next sermon series, or sermon series. Well, actually, yes, sermon series and podcast series. Many of you will know that we're just ticking over to the month of December. And next week, as this episode airs, will be the first week of Advent. And so Andrew and I both love the Advent time, the Advent season. And so we'll be doing a, a bit of an Advent series here on the podcast to go along with our sermon series. The first episode will be called Light in the Darkness. We will look forward to having you join us for that next week. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye, everybody. Take care.